0: Well, church, it does not get better than that. Amen? Yeah. Last weekend, we got so, man, I love the students we're in here representing to cheer their own on. Like, it's great to see the students in here, right? Yeah, I love it. I love it. Last week, we celebrated 29 baptisms, and I see some of y'all out there right now, man. What a great day. And, and, man, I just I love celebrating. There's so much to celebrate. Here's the deal. I, I got a buddy at a church out in California. They celebrated 29 baptisms. You got a buddy across the river. They celebrated over 70 baptisms. Another guy down in Florida, over 70 baptisms. Another church, over 50 baptisms. Another church, over 100 baptisms. Another church, over 100 baptisms. Another church, over 100 baptisms. Listen, church, God is on the move. Don't listen to the false narrative that the church is struggling. Our God is on the move. Last week was a beautiful Sunday for the kingdom, and the kingdom advances, Amen. it was such a great day, and it's worth celebrating, but we also need to grieve, and it's this weird place I'm in, because last Sunday, I keep hearing from my buddies at their churches all over the nation, all over the world about what God was doing in their congregations, and then Monday morning, I'm working at home, and I, I get a message, and I find out that our Our city has made the news, the national news, in all the wrong ways. And I go from this, like, beautiful place of celebrating all the new life in Jesus like we just did, to just grieving for those people who had lost the life of the loved one, and families who weren't sure, and just the beauty of the kingdom bringing light into this world to the Blessed 24 hours later, just the darkness that can envelop us so quickly. And so church, I just want to take a moment to pray with you. Um, it's just the right thing to do. And um, and I want to let you know, because of what we saw last weekend, because of what we experienced here on Easter, that's why we do what we do. To let the light of Jesus and the hope of Jesus shine brightly and infiltrate the heavy darkness of this world so that we can help everyone find and follow Jesus because this world is such a broken place. So let's pray. God, we come to you in this moment and honestly, we're conflicted. God, with hearts full of joy and delight, we wanna celebrate the new life of all of our new brothers and sisters who have surrendered their lives to you to find the true victory. And God, what a beautiful thing that in surrender, victory comes. That in the death of the old life, a new life is born. And we are made new in you. And we celebrate that. We celebrate for those six individuals that we just witnessed making that decision. We celebrate the 29 individuals last week. And we celebrate the hundreds of brothers and sisters who we saw step into the kingdom light last week. But God, our hearts are heavy. At the same time, and it's weird to have this conflicting emotion, but our hearts are heavy for all those, the first responders, the bystanders, the people who rushed in to help, for the doctors and nurses and professionals at the hospitals who worked so diligently to bring healing, God, for the families, all of the families, who lost someone they love. God we think in this moment. Of the parents of the shooter. And we just grieve. God no parent in this room. Can imagine being in that position. Can imagine the grief. That they face. And God. There are people who love you. There are people who know you. There are people who are just. Just searching for answers. And so we pray you would surround them with People to encourage them, to show compassion to them, to love on them. Yeah, we grieve that the darkness became so heavy for that young man that he, he saw no other way out but that way. And God, for those who lost a loved one, we grieve for them. Our hearts are heavy. We Pray that you would take them into your care, God, that your compassion, that your peace, that your presence would be made known in a very real experiential way to all the families dealing with loss this week. God, for the families and the individuals who were wounded, we pray for healing and not just physical healing. God, we pray for a spiritual thing. We do pray for full physical healing for all that... Their physical health would return in fullness. God, we pray, though, for, for all those who saw what you never intended any human eyes to see when you created us initially. But because our sin has so distorted and damaged your beautiful creation, there are those who have seen way too much of the ugly side of sin. God, not just in those moments, but in wrestling through what comes on the backside for those bystanders, for those first responders, especially for the ER doctors and professionals. God, their eyes have just seen way too much. And so we pray for healing there, not just physical healing, that you would heal their, their psyches and their souls, God, that you would Help them to see you through this, that in some way we know, we trust that you will work things out for the good and for your glory. We don't understand how, but we trust that you will. And so we give this situation to you, God. We ask that you bring a peace, a very real peace, even in the midst of chaos. God, we pray that those first responders, those firemen, those those EMTs, those police officers who willfully, willingly step into harm's way for our benefit, that What a Christ-like thing to put themselves in danger to protect us. God, we pray that you would protect them, that you would protect their souls. God, as they wrestle through the things they've been through. God, for the family members of them, the, the moms and dads, the brothers, the sisters, the children. That there's just a lingering sense that when their loved one goes off to work, that any given day could be a bad day. And God, we pray that you bring a very steady peace in the midst of the chaos of this world. That you bring a confidence and an assurance of your good work. And God, we pray that you would use this terrible situation to draw people to their need for you. To see you through it. God, that you would do a mighty work in spite of the mighty evil. That you would show yourself, as you always do, more powerful and more good. God, that we might be a people of gratitude. Both to you and to those who serve and love us. Even without knowing us. And so we pray this in the only name worthy and the only name powerful. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, have you ever been in a storm, a storm so bad that maybe you were scared for your life? I mean, we've all been in storms. That's a dumb question, but you haven't been in a storm so bad that you were afraid for your life? I grew up in central Illinois, and and I know we get thunderstorms and tornado warnings here, but growing up in the the flat area of central Illinois, it just seemed amplified like 10 times as much as what we get here, and it was just kind of a normal thing, and there's bad storms and bad tornadoes, and the sirens go off pretty regularly, and seeing the destruction, and the problem is the more you, you... see that stuff, you grow accustomed to it, you kind of lose respect for it. So I was in my early 20s driving across the flat farmland of central Illinois on the way to visit my parents for the evening, and the rain started coming down and the wind started picking up, and it got worse and worse and worse. As the storm picked up and the, the rain got more intense, the visibility decreased, and so my speed decreased And then I knew the storm was really bad when the radio went from playing music I liked to playing that really annoying alert. I'm not gonna do the noise for you. Sometimes I do noises, I'll I'll spare you that one. But the really annoying alert, and I knew... It wasn't just a warning, because it just kept going. So I turned off, and then the visibility got so bad. I just had to stop. So I stopped there on the road and, and thought, oh, I'm just going to sit here, turn on the hazards, weather the storm. And the storm just kept getting worse. My truck was rocking and rolling and howling and blowing winds. And, I mean, it's just like, you know, and the storm's coming. And then it let up finally, and I was like, All right, now I can drive off to Mom and Dad's. And, and when the storm let up enough for me to drive, I realized... That I wasn't like straight in the lines of the road, but I was turned just a bit. And I'm not confident if that was the wind pushing my truck, although my truck was pushed around quite a bit. Or if the visibility was just so terrible that I had somehow started to drive off the road and was just lucky to stop when I did. But I will tell you this, the next day driving back through that same area... I came to that spot where I parked my truck on the road and the trees were down and the silos were twisted and the barns were roofless. And I had a rekindled respect for the power of storms that can blow through. Anybody ever been in one of those kinds of storms? It gives you a new respect for what can happen in life. And so I was there and had this experience. And, and today we're answering the question, can Jesus turn my storm into a story? We're in chapter 15 of the book Quest 52. It's the book we're using as our devotional guide this year in our year-long pursuit of Jesus. Now, this is a supplement to the Bible. It is not a replacement for the Bible. We are not trading the Bible for this book. This book actually helps us dig into the Bible in a strategic way, in a way that's meaningful. It gives us some helpful explanation of certain passages in the Bible. So if you are new or newer to us and you don't yet have a copy of this or you've been hanging out for a while and you've been kind of resistant, you can pick up a discounted copy in the line today. You can pick up a few more copies on discount for your friends. The more you get, the better your discount is. We d- designed it that way for a reason. And we're in chapter 15. You don't need to worry yet about the first 14 chapters. Just jump in where we are. Chapter 15. Can Jesus turn my storm into a story? And today we're looking at Mark chapters four and five. If you want to turn there in your Bible, you can. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you. Your pew. The seat back. We don't have pews anymore. What am I talking about? In the seat back in front of you. Um, or you can just open up to the Bible app on your phone, but we're going to put all the scriptures right up here, and we're in the New Living Translation of it, but we're going to look at one of the more famous storm stories of Jesus. So here we go, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And Jesus up to this point, this is one of the the longest days recorded in Jesus' life. He's been teaching the crowds all day long, moving from place to place, teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching. And then as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Now, the other side of the lake was the pagan side, the non-Jewish side. It's the side where people would go to get away from religion, to have their fun, right? So it was that side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat, and they started out leaving the crowds behind. Although other boats followed, Jesus just can't get a break from the crowds. The crowds are gonna follow him even into the water. They go. Well, soon, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat. It began to fill with water. And Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? We're all going to die. Wake up. Now, when we come to passages like this... We need to remember, this is not just a story in a book. This is a historical record, real events with real people that really happened. And so it's helpful for us to put ourselves in the story. Imagine yourself there in the boat. In the dark of night, it's dusk, maybe darkness of night, and in the, in the water, as the rains begin to come, and it starts maybe gently, and then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, there are eight to ten foot swells. Listen, waves that if you're in an average house, the waves would be as tall as your ceiling above your boat crashing into the boat the boat is rocking and rolling back and forth you're in this and you know it's bad and you get scared for your life because the pros the fishermen who make their living on that lake are like it's bad we're gonna die (laughs) like you know it's not good and they're waking up the preacher you know it's bad when people turn to the preacher like Everything else not working. Preacher, you got to help, right? Like, you know that's the bad situation. So they wake Jesus up. They're all afraid. It's crashing down. So Jesus wakes up. And you know how it is when people wake you up. This is the, the end of the day. It's a long day. Jesus is tired. He needs a nap. He's exhausted. And you know what it's like when you're tired and you're finally getting your nap and the kids wake you up or your spouse wakes you up or the phone wakes you up or somebody's at the door. And you're like, oh, man, you got to wipe the crusties from your eye. You're like, oh, I don't want to be awake. It's just my finally, I'm asleep. Jesus comes to the front of the boat, checks the weather, like, you know, which way is the wind blowing? Silence. Calm down. Trying to sleep. And then the winds stop. And calm comes. Now, notice, it doesn't say the wind becomes a gentle breeze. The pounding rain becomes a slight drizzle. No, it says it's calm. Calm. The picture we get here from the original Greek language, that the sea is like glass, like a mirror. Like for those of you who enjoy getting out on the water in the summertime to ski early in the morning when it is like glass, that's how it is. And so, the disciples look at Jesus. Next, next passage. And he asked asked the disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Don't you know who is in the boat with you? And the disciples look at him. And they're absolutely terrified. Terrified. Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? Whoa. You know, in the storm, they were afraid, but when the calm comes, they're terrified. I mean, keep this in mind. They're scared in the storm. They're terrified when the storm stops. Because there's one in their midst who can stop the storm, who stills the storm with his voice. And this question, who is this man? Keep that before you. Who is this man? That's a question that Mark tends to kind of pose throughout his gospel. Who is Jesus? And there is where we transition in Mark's gospel from a storm in a sea to a storm in a man. From the storm that rages around and pounds against us to the storm that rages inside and blows us apart. And so they arrive at the other side of the lake, the pagan side, in the region of the Gerasenes. Now, depending on your translation, we're reading from the New Living Translation. Maybe you're reading from the ESV, uh, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard, the New King James, the New International. Depending on which translation you're reading from, it might have a different name of a city here. Here's why. Because at times... Depending on who they were taking Mark's gospel to when they wrote this, when he wrote this gospel and they were delivering copies of it to different people. They would use a different name of the city. There were 10 cities called the Decapolis, the 10-city the area. And it's kind of like from the, if you're from the Chicago area, everything is Chicago. If you're from Louisville, everything is Louisville. You're from a big city. All the small towns around kind of get wrapped in. But then there's some cities. Like I'm an Illinois guy, so I'm familiar with Illinois cities. You got Champaign-Urbana. People call it Chambana, right, University of Illinois there. Illinois State University, where I went, is in normal Illinois right next to Bloomington, two twin cities. It's called Blono. Cause that is a weird name for a place. Normal is a weird name for a town cause that is not a normal place. You get quad cities over in the other part of the state. And depending on which one you're in, you just, you refer to, if you're in Bloomington, you talk about Bloomington. If you're in Normal, you talk about Normal. If you're in Champagne, you talk about Champagne. If you're in Urbana, you talk about Urbana. But it's all like the same place when you're in those cities. That's all that was. They were talking about this one area. Alright? So the Garrison's, the Gardenings, the other cities, it's all one big region, these cities together. So they get there, and when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. Now, to meet him, he came at him is maybe a more accurate translation. And this man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists. He smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough even to subdue him. And day and night he wandered among the barrel caves And in the hills Howling and cutting himself with sharp stones I mean you just get this picture This naked guy living in the things Howling at the stone I mean this is just a weird scene right And when Jesus was still some distance away The man saw him And a better translation of the Greek is He ran at him And then he bowed low Before him Whoa And then With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Again, let's put ourselves in this story. Let's experience what these men experienced in that moment. It's very late at night, perhaps very early in the morning. We would say the middle of the night. They arrive on the shore. Jesus climbs out of the boat. And I love this. Jesus climbs out of the boat. doesn't tell us any of the other guys got out of the boat with him. Jesus steps out of the boat, and here comes... This naked, strong man who's covered in dirt and grime—he howls. He's probably got longer hair. I mean, he's he's probably got this beard, right? He's covered in dried blood from cutting himself. He's covered in dirt and mud. And the dude runs at Jesus with crazy strong strength, like a linebacker coming at him. And you just know Peter is probably not out of the boat. Jesus is coming out of the boat. Peter's probably, Jesus, time to get back in the boat, buddy. It's time to go. Let's push out from the shore. And this dude runs at. Jesus, and then stops and falls at his feet. Now, everybody else has been afraid of this guy, but this guy is afraid of Jesus. And not so much the guy, but the demons that have ownership over this guy, afraid of Jesus. Because this demon-possessed man, these demons know that the scariest thing is the man who can stop the storm with his voice. Now, I'm just gonna assume that most of us have not been possessed by demons. We've probably not had demons speak through us. There's probably not, maybe. But I think we can still relate to this guy because I think we all have... Some knowledge of what it is to be owned by something else, to have something oppress us if not fully possess us. If you've wrestled with addiction or a destructive habit or you've got wounds from your younger years that kind of press in on you, those things that you just have a hard time getting beyond, you understand this man's situation. Maybe your drug is food and when life gets tough and the stress comes in, you eat your way out of stress. You just try to eat it away, but then you feel the regret of what that does to your body and the unhealth. And maybe you joke about it, but that's your thing. Or maybe you stand on the opposite end of that, and you look in the mirror, and you can't see beautiful. All you see are flaws, and so food is your nemesis, your enemy, and you have a different kind of unhealthy relationship with it. Or maybe you're oppressed by depression, or maybe it's that unhinged sexual desire, or maybe screen time dominates all of your time, and you find yourself binging on different streaming services services, or looking at things you shouldn't be looking at or just looking at screen all day long, scrolling and social media, on and on. Whatever it might be, we, we know what it is to be owned by things. And we know that when we're in the throes of those things, we get irritable, we get cranky. The way we talk to others is not the way we prefer, that sometimes those things speak through us in a way to others in a way we would not want it to happen. And so Jesus demands... Of the demon, what's your name? And the demon replies, my name is Legion. Because there are many of us inside this man. Maybe trying to intimidate Jesus. A Legion was a Roman military unit of 6,000 soldiers. So whether there's literally 6,000 demons strong in this man. Or maybe it's just an exaggeration to say, this is a really strong demonic voice. But then they realized, Jesus, it's not swayed. So the evil spirits begged him again and again, don't send us to some distant place. I actually find humor in that. Because apparently, even for demons, there are places that they find boring in this world. Like, don't don't send us to Kansas. <laughs> like, keep us somewhere else, right? Like, we don't want to go there either. So there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. Now, the Jewish people reading this would have found great humor and Appropriateness in this. Unclean spirits going into unclean animals. The animals, these pigs were considered unclean. The Jewish people had nothing to do with pigs. If you wonder, by the way, on a side note, how much Jesus loved you, He came at a time. He could have entered history at any point. He chose to enter history at a point with no air conditioning, with no flush toilets, with no running water, and in a culture where He was not allowed pork chops or bacon. Listen, Jesus loves you, alright? It's a deal. So, Happened to be this orchard of pigs So Jesus is like, alright, you want the pigs? I'll give you pigs And he gives them permission to go to the pigs And the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs What a sight that must have been And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs gave a piggyback ride to those demons And they plunged down the steep Piggyback, come on man, that's a good dad joke And they plunged down the steep hillside Into the lake and drowned in the water 2,000 pigs, that's a lot of pigs It's a lot of squealing And what I love about this is that when everyone else saw this guy who was violent and crazy and intimidating and strong and just somebody you don't want to deal with, Jesus saw a man. He saw a man. A man made in the image of God who was owned by sin. And maybe not his own sin. He was just owned by evil. He was held hostage by evil. And Jesus had compassion on him. Jesus was broken for him. And Jesus determined to break that chain of possession. Just like this man could break the chains on him. Jesus said, there's another kind of breaking that's got to happen. And i got to break you free from the oppression in your So Jesus had compassion on this guy. Friends, in our worst moments, that is how Jesus sees us. Jesus has compassion on us. He has compassion on you no matter what it is that oppresses you. Whether the storms that press in around you and beat you up or the storms that rage inside of you that you just try to keep from coming out. Jesus has compassion for you and he wants to set you free. So please, please hear me in this. Do not give up. Just hold on. And turn to Jesus, the one who has the power to still the storm, to calm the raging sea. And maybe he'll calm the sea for you. Maybe he'll calm the storm. Maybe he'll just see you through it. But when you put your hope in Jesus, when you turn to him for help, when you turn to him for healing, he wants to set you free. He came for you, not to condemn you but to save you, to rescue you. The cross speaks that loud and clear to us that he is for us and not against us. So don't give up and don't give in to those evil demonic forces that might speak other things to us. The self-harm and other things. Just turn to Jesus and cling to him. Well there they stood. The disciples standing next to a sea of ham soup Standing next to the deviled ham. Dad jokes, man. My kids give me the same reaction. You're no better. Okay, thanks. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw a man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane. And the people were all afraid. They were terrified. Who knew? I mean, here's the guy, he's clothed in calm and in his right mind, and that is what scares the people. What? Because these people are having a similar experience to what the disciples had on the boat. Disciples scared in the storm, terrified at the man who can calm it. These people were scared of this demon-possessed man, terrified, it's a better translation there, of the man who can send the demons away. They don't have a box for that. Who is this man that even the demons obey him? See, Mark in his gospel keeps coming back to this question of who is Jesus? Who is this man that even the demons obey him? Well, then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus. Jesus, go away from us. Leave us alone. What? Why? Why? Because they're scared. Because they don't have a box for what Jesus has done. You know, it was often the case when people encountered Jesus in the scriptures. And it's still the case today. When people come face to face with the power of Jesus, we just don't know what to do. We know one thing. We are unworthy. Jesus, you should depart from me. I don't deserve to be in your presence. But then there's a flip side to that as well. Jesus, I'm not sure I want your power in my life. We've grown accustomed to the dark. We've grown comfortable in the storm. Jesus, I'm not sure what your power might do to disrupt the life I know. So go. And, and here's the thing, right? Like Mark is trying to get through in his gospel. Through, throughout Mark's gospel, we, we see these two themes come up. One is fear. Mark deals with this fear all along. And he deals with the question again and again, who is this man Jesus? He he doesn't always ask it that way, but it's implied in the text, who is Jesus? People are trying to make sense of who Jesus is. The whole time, people are trying to figure out this Jesus guy. Like through the entirety of Mark's gospel, they're trying to figure out who is Jesus. And they're dealing with fear. And the people, not the people, but the one group that consistently shows that they know who he is are the demons. The demons are like, you want to know who Jesus is? He's the son of God. He's the most high. He's a powerful one. He is not one to be trifled with. And everybody's like, who is he? He's powerful. He's scary. We're not sure what to do with him. Demons are like, we'll tell what to do with him. Bow before him. Like the demons show who he is. And so what Mark is getting at throughout his gospel again and again and again is this. If you fear God, then you don't need to fear anything else. But if you don't fear God, you have reason to fear everything else let will say that for you again. If you fear God, you need not be afraid of anything. If you don't fear God, you have reason to be afraid of everything. But keep this in mind, that that fear of God is not a paralyzing fear that draws us to retreat from him and cower from him. It causes us to respect him, to worship him, to praise him, and to follow him. Because the fearsome one is for us. The cross screams that to us. The fearsome one is for us. He came to save us, not to condemn us. But if we stand opposed to him, we stand condemned already. And we have reason to fear everything. So friend, let me just ask you, which do you fear more, Jesus or the storms in your life? Which which is more fearsome to you? the storms that rage around and pound against you, the the storms that rage with inside and try to bust out from you, or the one who can speak the storms to stillness. See, the most important question you're gonna ever answer, is the question Mark poses again and again, who is this man, Jesus? You acknowledge him as a leader in your life, as the rescuer of your soul. You've answered correctly. If not, you got a lot to be afraid of. Well, as Jesus is getting back into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. Seems reasonable. Jesus, can I come? Jesus answer blows me away. No. I'm like what what? Normally I would think like somebody says, Jesus, can I follow you? He's like, Yeah, come along. Join the crowd, join the group, let's go. But here Jesus is like, No, 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 no. Go home to your family. And tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. You know, when the storms of life blow and the winds blow against us, it's natural for us to want to run, to want to hide, to want to get away from the storm, to find a calm place. But God's formula for us for growth is that we weather the storm. That we go headlong into the storm. That we allow the storm to come at us. Not that we try to run from it and avoid the pain But that we stand there and Jesus will come and maybe he'll calm the storm for us. Maybe he will just stand there and help us weather it. But what we know is that the way to grow is not to like chase after the, the, you know, if we're in the dark, if the darkness has grown so heavy for us, you, you don't find the light by chasing the sunset and running west. You run east through the darkest part of the night to find the sunrise. God will lead us through the throes of the storm to see his light, to see the new day he wants to give us. Oftentimes, even after the storm calms, even after everything seems okay, when things get better, when healing comes, we're still reminded. But we we still have some scars from the storm. Physically, we, we know Trees are downed and property is damaged and maybe we've faced some injuries. Metaphorically, we know the scars still remain. There's parts of our life that still show the storm damage. This guy, undoubtedly, he knew he had a reputation. I mean, he was that guy. The guy who lived naked in the cemetery and howled at the moon and cut himself and broke chains. Like the dude's got a reputation that's probably not that great. He's the guy who's thinking they're probably going to blame me because 2,000 pigs is a lot of money for my community. And those pigs get us in good with the Roman army. I mean, that's what we use to feed them and to bribe them and to get them in good with us. Like this dude's got a reputation. He's going to be blamed. I got to believe he's probably thinking I'm going to be rejected. He's got a reputation. He fears rejection. Would he be able to shake the shame, to shed the stigma, to rebuild his reputation, to redefine his life? Years ago, addiction shipwrecked my life. Went public in a big way. It was one of the darkest, stormiest times of my life. And man, the fear that came with that of rejection and shame and everything else. I remember having the conversation with my kids, my wife, my parents, my siblings, my family, so many people in the community. And, and the whole time, just fearing rejection and shame. I'm now that guy. Man, I just want to run. But but running doesn't bring healing. Staying put, weathering the storm. And the storm got better. God did a beautiful work. What I found was almost unanimously people loved on me and they loved on my family. They loved on me. And not because they did not know about my past. They just chose not to hold me hostage to it. I said, we believe God is still doing a work in you he's gonna do a redemptive, restorative work and we're just eager to see what the next chapter is. Church, that's how we should respond to people if they're allowing God to do the restorative, redemptive work. But I'll tell you, the storm has passed, it's been years and there are still people that it's difficult for me to face. Not because they've made it hard for me, just because I know. I know the trust they had placed in me and I know how I let them down. And so there's this like lingering storm damage of regret. And I share this with you because I know it's pretty common. I've sat with enough of you to hear your stories too. But here's the beautiful thing is like, like if we just sit in that, if we're not careful, that, that paralyzes us. That that puts us in a whole new prison But if we turn to Jesus, even in those moments, what we see is he is still healing us. He's still reminding us of what he has done and what he continues to do in us, even despite us. And other people will celebrate that with us. So even at those times when I'm face-to-face with those people, I am reminded every time how they celebrate what God is up to, which is so much bigger than us, so much bigger than me. You see, this guy had been restored, and that means he had been given a new story. He had been re He was the guy who had this terrible story that God then gave him a redemption story when he set him free. And so this man, Jesus tells him to go tell his family, well, the guy started off to visit the ten towns of that region, and he began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And read this with me. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Who? Everyone. Well, what a beautiful thing. This guy goes and starts telling a story, it was, starts telling people. This is the first instance we have in the Gospels of the story of Jesus making its way beyond the Jewish people, going out into the other parts. Now, later in Mark's Gospel, Jesus returns to this area, this area of the ten cities and these thousands of people. And what happens in that moment is thousands of people come out to hear him teach, to, to see him, to come to him. How, how do these people know to come out to Jesus? And what, How did they find out about him? What was it? We don't know exactly what it was that spurred all these people to come out and encounter Jesus later in the gospel. But it sure seems plausible and most likely that this once possessed and now set free man had a whole lot to do with it. What a beautiful thing. You know, Some of you, you have a past that you are ashamed of. And I get it. I get it way too much. But if we stay ashamed of that, and we stay that's like staying stuck in the past, then we miss what God is up to. See, if Jesus has restored you, he has re you. And he has given you a unique position to speak into other people's lives. When the, they were writing the book, Suffering and the Sovereignty of God, the authors did a whole lot of research with broken world people. And this is what they found unanimously. People who suffer want people who have suffered to tell them there is hope. They're justifiably suspicious of people who appear to have lives of ease. You know that to be true. When I'm talking to a couple and they're like, their marriage is strained, they don't want to know the couple who's like, never argued a lot. Listen, if you've never argued, are you even married? Like, and I don't say that like dismissively. I'm just saying like conflict comes. You got two radically different people. We're going to bump up against each other. The beauty is not that we never find. The beauty is how we work it out. Like, oh man, we're so much better because we're that out. Like what a beautiful thing. So when people are going through the mix, they're like, tell me somebody who's gone through this. So we know we can get, we want to know there is another side. That there is an end of the rainbow. That there is light at the other side of this tunnel. People dealing with addiction. People. Are, and, and so here's here's the thing. If Jesus has restored you, whatever your storm has been, and maybe your storm hasn't been the big, crazy shipwreck kind of thing, and I pray it hasn't. But don't minimize your story. Don't think that your story isn't significant enough to share, because it is. Whatever your storm has been, and, and if you think it's small, listen, it's not that small, because I guarantee you, there's somebody else dealing with it, and that other person needs to hear from you. They need the hope that you can offer them to say, yeah, Jesus has restored this area of my life. And maybe it wasn't super traumatic. But it was enough that you could speak hope to them. See, your your storm gives you a unique passport to speak into the lives of other people around you. The, the truth of it is this: if God has restored you, that means He has restored you. So share your story. That that's the gospel. And, and well, how do I share my story? It's super simple. Three things. Only three things you got to remember. What was your life like before? And maybe it's before you met Jesus. Maybe like me, there were just parts of your life you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and you just weren't surrendered. Or you decided to go for a swim in the dumb water of sin. And, and maybe maybe that kind of wrecked you. So, okay, what, what were you doing? And then what was the crisis point? What was the breaking point that helped you come to realization? And what has God been up to now? What was it like? What was your breaking point and what's God up to now? And it doesn't mean that everything's perfect and rosy and it's all good. No, we're still human. Nobody's got it all together. You're still in process. Nobody wants to talk to somebody who pretends that everything is perfect now (laughs) because that's just not reality. But we're restored and God is in the process of restoring us still. What a beautiful thing that is. Then when we share that part of our story, people might want to argue about theology all day long. They might want to argue creation and end times and the validity of the resurrection. And listen, I, I give you stuff on all those things because there is historical validity and there is truth. And we, we can equip you for that, but, but nobody's going to argue your story. It's really hard to argue with what Jesus has done in your life. You know, this guy who Jesus said, go back. You, you don't get to come with me. You got to go back and tell your family. I think the guy told his family, and he was like, man, look how that went. And and then he told others, and you know that guy had shame for the family. Listen, if you've got the dude in the family who's naked and living in the cemetery, howling at the moon and breaking chains, you're probably like, I don't know him. Like that dude was like, I gotta go talk to my family. It's easier to talk to people on the other side of the lake than it is to talk to my family. They know me. But he goes back, he talks to his family, and then he begins talking to everybody else, and all of a sudden people are hearing about Jesus the dude did not have years of Sunday school education. He did not have years of sitting and listening on Sundays to a preacher. And He didn't have the, the Bible that we have. He didn't have all that we have. He didn't have a Bible college education and a seminary degree. He didn't have time in small groups. Not that any of those things are bad. They're good. They're helpful. They're just not essential. He had this. He had one really powerful experience with Jesus. And that's all he needed to tell other people where he found it. So it's all it takes. you got a powerful experience with Jesus. You start there. You share your story with others. And as you share that story about what God has done in your life, I want you to remember. Remember what he's done in your life. As you're sharing with other people, remember, oh, he's restored me. I got a new story. Celebrate with gratitude the new chapter he's writing in your life. Celebrate with gratitude some hope that he wants to do the same for the person you're sharing with. Jesus' has got a whole new chapter to write. He's got a whole new part of the story, and he wants to invite you into it. So celebrate with gratitude and share your story about what God has done. And maybe you're with us today. Maybe you're here in person. Maybe you're joining us online, and you're stuck in the storm. Storms beating down from the outside, a storm raging from within that you're just trying to keep under wraps, and you've not yet let God restore you. Friend, I just want to encourage you. Today is your day to be set free. Today is your day to let Jesus break those chains and to let him give you a whole new story to tell. And so if you're not sure what your next step is, I want you to meet us right after the service in the next step spot out in our lobby. May you talk to us out there and we will help you step into the next chapter of your story. Church, let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the God who does not leave us stuck in our story, stuck in our sin, stuck in our shame, stuck in our brokenness, stuck in the throes of those things that possess us and oppress us. But you are the God who desires to set us free. You're the one who stepped out of the glory of heaven to step into this world, to step onto a cross, to take a death we deserve so we can have a life that you just desire to give us, to adopt us into your family as your sons and daughters, because you want us to have freedom and you want us to have life and you want us to have goodness. And so God, may we never forget that the fearsome one is for us. And may we share our story boldly and winsomely and lovingly with all those around us. When we encounter someone who's in a storm, may we offer them hope because of the hope we've received from how you've helped us get out of our storms. And so, God, we offer that to you. And I pray that right now, in this moment, if there are any with us who have not yet surrendered to you, that today would be their day, that right now would be their time, that they would reach out, those online, they would reach out to their hosts, and they'd say, I'm ready to let the chains be broken. I'm ready for a new chapter in my story. That those here with us right now would come see us in the lobby, hit the next step spot, and say, I'm ready for the next chapter of my story to be written. And, God, we stand in this moment. We as your people will stand and we will sing this next song with joy, with gratitude, with hearts of praise. Because you are the one and the only one who deserves our praise, who deserves the glory, who deserves our worship. So let our voices sing loud and let this song be a prayer to you, God. And we pray to Jesus. Amen.